an enemy who lies, who kills, who steals, who destroys. And sadly, across the eons of time, our adversary has sown the seeds of discord. He has, he has fueled the lust for power in the hearts of men. And he has emboldened the most brazen among us to oppose the truth, to oppress others. Yet you, as believers in God and followers of Jesus, you know this evil has never gone unchecked for long. Humanity also, as we know, has an advocate, one vastly superior to our enemy, amen? The Lord God Almighty. And God is mighty, he is mighty to save. Please consider for a moment some of the ways in which the Lord God has intervened to turn back the tide of evil in the world. Consider this for a moment, the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God introduces the powerful force of hope. He does this through the vehicle of a promise. You remember this promise from Genesis chapter 3? With regards to the deceiving serpent, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It was one of the very first prophecies of Jesus. It was a, a forerunner that God said, I've got this. <laughs> yes, Satan's dealt a huge blow to creation by tempting men and women into sin, and, and it's caused a real separation. It's a problem. It's big, epic. But God, from the beginning, was saying, I've got this. I've got a plan. And he put in, into place something that had not existed in the world. You realize that before this moment, there had not been a need for hope because there was nothing lost. But after sin had come into the world, the need for hope existed. <laughs> How do we fix what's broken? And in a simple prophecy, a promise, God brought hope into the world. Hope is a powerful weapon of God. In the days that followed, in the days of Noah... It seemed that evil would reign over the whole earth, and men's hearts were far from God. And God used the powerful force of nature through the circumstance of the flood. With regard to a world consumed by wickedness, we read these words from Peter talking about the story of Noah. It's Peter who writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. When you hear that again, that's important for us in this moment. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment, the day of judgment. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but do you realize that the Lord has an army? One of the, my favorite stories that points this out is when Joshua is getting ready to take on the battle of Jericho, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 5, he sees this shiny man, a man in armor, standing on the battlefield, and, 
He, he doesn't know who he is, where he's from, and he goes to encounter this shiny man. And, and when he does and he asks and inquires who he is, he finds out that, that the man is the commander of the Lord's army from Joshua 5. And uh, Joshua says, are you for us or against us? He says, neither. I'm for the Lord. I do his business and his bidding. It's one of the first glimpses we get in the Bible of this truth. God has an army. God has an army. In fact, the prophet Joel would later tell us that the Lord, in Joel chapter 2, verse 11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. I want you to know something about the Lord's army and the way the Lord works is, is he doesn't always work in the way the world thinks he should work or that, that you solve problems. In fact, God's interactions in the world are fascinating. And we read them across both the Old and the New Testament, how God moves in circumstances. And I have to tell you of late, I don't know about you, but as I've watched the news these last three or four weeks, I've been struggling at night. It weighs heavy on my heart. And I want to do more. You probably do too. I, I don't know how to change the outcomes that I see on my TV. I feel very powerless. So I've struggled. I pray. I wake up in the night praying. Probably you do too. But I'm encouraged when I am reminded that the way that Christians engage in warfare is different than the world's way of engaging in things. It's not about bullets and bombs. It's about prayers and faithfulness. God's ways are mysterious. When we read about the Lord facing armies in the Bible, it is a fascinating read. You could read, for example, the great story from Exodus chapter 11 about when the nation of Israel is fleeing from the Egyptians and as they're approaching the Red Sea. It says that the Lord threw the Egyptian army into confusion. The Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and he threw it into absolute confusion. God has the ability to confuse an enemy. There's another story that I've always liked about Gideon found in Judges chapter 7. In this case, the Lord causes the Midian army to turn on each other. It says the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. They were utterly destroyed. This next one's a little uh, inappropriate, but it is worth noting the Lord struck the Philistine army with hemorrhoids. I know, that's an awkward one. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon those of Ashdod, and he destroyed them with he destroyed them, he smote them with hemorrhoids. That's one horrible thing to have to deal with, I suppose. God's armies and God's weapons are not the weapons that the world would, would choose. He struck the armies of Aram. Remember the story of Elisha? Elisha is a prophet of God, and the king of Aram is opposing the Israelites. And every time he sets a trap for the Israelites... Elisha tells the leader of the Israelites, hey, this is what's coming, and all of the king of Aram's plans fail. 
when he realizes that the reason for that is Elisha, he sends an army to go kill Elisha. We read this powerful story in 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter 9, where he says that one morning Elisha's servant looked out and he sees all the way around them, they're completely surrounded by the army of the king of Aram. And he's terrified. But Elisha prays that his eyes will be opened. And when his eyes are opened, the servant looks out again, and he sees encircling the army that is encircling them, he sees the Lord's army. And the story goes, as Elisha prays, the king of Aram's army charges in to attack and to capture, and God strikes them with blindness, all of them, kind of like he did to Saul on the road to Damascus. He strikes them with blindness. They're devastated. In fact, he leads them right into the hands of their enemy. Now, the king, the ruler who is leading Judah at that time, says, should we kill them? Should we kill them? And Elisha says, no, you should feed them. And they feed them, God restores their sight, and they send them back home. And there's peace in the land. The weapons God uses are oftentimes different than the weapons of men. There's another great story where God interacts, his army interacts, but it is a terrifying one. It is the story of when Sennacherib comes against King Hezekiah in 2 Kings. In this occasion, the Lord smotes the Assyrian army while they sleep. It says in our text, it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians, and hundred and fourscore and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand. When they rose in the morning, behold, there were all the corpses. I share all of this to remind you that God is powerful, that he is able to interact in the affairs of the world, the affairs of men. By the Lord's power, walls have crumbled. By the Lord's power, enemies fell into confusion. By the Lord's power, giants have fallen. Isaiah chapter 54 says, Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame. He forges a weapon fit for its work, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And it's the Apostle Paul who in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So this morning I want to take you to one last story. It is a story that I think is important for us in this moment. Is a story that comes from the book of Chronicles. And I think you'll resonate because this story really speaks of feelings of powerlessness, frustration, the sense of overwhelming, uh, a sense of being overwhelmed by the circumstances that are happening around them. Now, this is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When you hear the story of what happens here, it says that uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, this is from 
Second Chronicles 20, verse 1 and following. The, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Moonites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the sea, it is already at Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. This next word is one that I think summarizes how a lot of us have felt of late. Alarmed. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Alarmed, he didn't immediately say, hey, send out our best men and put them at this position. He didn't do that. He didn't fortify his defenses. Uh, alarmed, he didn't immediately say, okay, we need to, we need to retreat. We got to get out of here. Alarmed, he immediately sought the Lord. It was his first response. He immediately sought the Lord. He called all the people and he said, listen, we've got to fast. We've got to pray. And perhaps those are words for us right now. So the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Friends, I want to call us to a time of prayer for our world. Like in the days of King Jehoshaphat, we must come together. I know that some will laugh at this, but I tell you that this battle, this enemy can be stopped through the power of prayer. If millions upon millions of Christians will join together in praying, there is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. When Jehoshaphat faced the impossible, he called all the people together for them to pray, to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, at the temple of the Lord, in front of the new courtyard, and he said these words, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of nations. I say that again because that's encouraging to know that ultimately God is who raises up and tears down nations. You rule over all the kingdoms and nations. God, power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Please take those words to heart. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it. They have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us. And you will save us. But now, here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them. They did not destroy them. 
Yet see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. You, you don't hear this very often from leaders of the free world, do you? Here's the king. We don't have any power to beat this, uh, this army. We don't have enough people to overcome this enemy. And this is the one that, that is just mind-boggling in the modern world. We just can't picture a, a leader saying this, a president or a king or a ruler saying we don't know what to do. Isn't that honest? That's what Jehoshaphat said. I, I don't know what to do. But this thing I'm going to do, my eyes are on you, God. Let us turn our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. All the men of Judah, with their wives, their children, and their little ones, stood there before the Lord. Man, I want you to hear this. God inhabits the praises and the prayers of his people. And there is something powerful about the prayers of children who have a, an innocent faith that is untarnished by doubt and by fear. Several weeks ago, I asked you to pray for one another. And I asked one of our young ladies, Brooklyn, to pray for me. And she's done so faithfully because I was having back problems. And, and they were pretty severe. And I was really getting kind of frustrated with the whole thing. And and I don't know that it was only Brooklyn. Others prayed too. But as soon as I woke up the next morning, my back pain was gone. <laughs> I rejoice in that. I believe prayer works. And I think that it's important in this story that everyone was praying. The men, their wives, their children, even their infants, their babies were standing there before the Lord. The king has poured it all out. The people have poured it all out. They've asked God to intervene. And then the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Lord, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle belongs to the Lord. Tomorrow, march out against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jezreel. But you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give to you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, what happens next is just beautiful. They have come seeking the Lord, terrified about what's to happen. And by the way, as the as 
as they do what happens next, the army is still alive and kicking. They're still out there. But a word from the Lord has changed everything. And friends, a word from the Lord can change everything. And oh Lord, speak a word and change everything. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with very loud voices. And then early in the morning, and all we get is that they just praised the Lord until it was probably late in the afternoon. I don't know how much sleeping they got, but early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. Now, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out, they were at the head of the army, and they were saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And I want to set up the conclusion of my sermon this morning where we will pray this prayer and we will say this statement together three times. But let's say it once now in practice, this phrase about giving thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Say it with me. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. This is how they marched into battle. They were talking about love. They were talking about thankfulness. They were talking about God. This doesn't sound like the war cry of Braveheart, does it? <laughs> they were running into the battle talking about the love of God. And they were singing praises to him and thanking him for a love that never fails, for a love that never ends. And they began to sing. And as they began to sing, and it's important that it says that two events happen simultaneously. When they begin to praise, God begins to act. And as they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were destroyed. It's a very interesting phrase. Could this have been an interaction with the Lord's army? Very possible. The Lord set those ambushes. Then the men of Ammon and Moab, not realizing what had just happened, thinking they had been uh, deceived by their uh, allies, turned on one another to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering, this is sad news, slaughtering the men of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. God caused them to be in a great stupor of confusion and rage. And by the time that the singing army of God arrived at the end where God told them they would find them, this is when they came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army well, they saw only the dead lying on the ground. Not one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder. 
They found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in that valley, the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. In fact, that is why it is called the valley of Barakah to this praise, because, this day, because Barakah means praise. Praise. They thought they were going out to face potential obliteration. But they praised and trusted God. And instead of a horrible defeat and, and nothing, they received a blessing. Deliverance from their enemy and blessings for their nation. The battle belongs to the Lord. I like the last verses here. Then, the, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. And they entered Jerusalem, and they went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms and countries when they learned how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, whereas God had given him rest on every side. Well, it's a horrible story. It's an amazing story. It's a true story. The battle really does belong to the Lord. The psalmist David summarizes all of this quite eloquently in the 20th Psalm. And as we prepare to enter into a time of prayer for the present circumstance of our world, let these words also resonate in your heart and mind. A Psalm of David from Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of God, the God of Jacob, protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. May he grant you support from Zion. May he remember your sacrifices, accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart. May he make your plans succeed. For we will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant your request. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. God answers from his holy heaven with saving power of his right hand. Some will trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up. And we stand firm. O Lord, save the king and answer us when we call. If like me, you've been wondering, what am I going to do? How can I make a difference? We're going to make a difference right now. I want us to enter into a few moments of prayer. And I just want us to pause and to pray about the circumstances of our world and to ask God to intervene. And after a time of silent prayer, I'll 
pray an audible prayer, and then when we finish, let's conclude together with those words that Jehoshaphat used all that time ago to lead his people to victory. And three times we will share together those words. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Join me in praying for our world circumstance. Almighty God, as our world stands on the precipice of madness, we seek your help. We pray that you will intervene. We ask you to do what we cannot do. We acknowledge that your ways are higher than our ways, that your mind is greater than our mind, that your, your army more powerful than any nation's army in the world. And we acknowledge, almighty God, that you can deliver in ways that we could not even imagine. And we gather as the children, the people of God, men, women, children, and infants, we gather today, and we acknowledge that we don't have an answer, but you do. And we turn and we trust in you, God. You are more powerful. You are more wise. You are more capable than anything else that we could do. And James, you told us if anyone was in trouble, we should pray. And we acknowledge to you that our world is in trouble. And today we gather in prayer. O Lord, intervene in the affairs of our world and our time. Turn us away from the precipice back and towards peace. And let us never again fail to use a time of peace to boldly proclaim the goodness of our God. And forgive us for the years of peace in which we were complacent and we were silent. Almighty God, as Jehoshaphat led his people, he led them with shouts of praise. And so as we conclude our prayer today, we say those same words that were spoken so long ago, and we say them with hope and expectancy and belief and confidence that you are able. And so together we say, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Lord, may your power inhabit the praises of your people this day. As you go forth into our world, we trust in you. We look to you. And we have expectant hope that you will interact and that you will intervene. And that you will save us from the present hour. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. It may be that you're here today and your circumstance is is different. You come here today in a spiritual place where you haven't, well, you're not at peace with God. And you know there's something that you need to talk to God about or maybe it's a decision you need to make. You haven't made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. Whatever that need might be, we encourage you to act on the leading of the Holy Spirit as we stand together and sing our hymn of invitation.